Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This episode of Silent Giants is brought to you by Ali. Alley, powered by Verizon locations, are developed by Verizon, the world's leading technology company, in collaboration with Alley, a membership-only community workspace for creators. Each location is a community curated powered by the emerging technologies and thought leadership of Verizon. With Alley, Verizon is bridging the gap between startup and corporation by helping the community workspace build next-level ecosystems for entrepreneurs. Now, on to my episode with Marat Bernstein. I applied. I had nothing to lose, right? A week goes by. Um, I follow up with, with my pal and I say, hey, do you, you know, did you get my application? What, you know, what's the story? He goes, I got it. You're on the short list. They go, fantastic. Short list for what? I don't know who this is for. Like, this is a paid position to be a personal assistant for a high profile individual. I would kind of like to know who it is. It's Art Garfield. Yeah, yeah, check it out. I'm your host, Corey Cambridge. Yeah. Everybody tuning in, you invited, you invited. No matter what mood you in, get excited, get excited. Everybody love the music. Let me tell you how they do it. Whether writer or an agent, let me tell you how they made it. You are now talking to a silent giant. Wanna walk in their shoes, silent giants. Wanna study they move, silent giants. Wanna know what they do, silent giants. Silent giants, y'all. <laughs> Welcome to the Silent Giants Podcast. A podcast that highlights the superstars behind your favorite superstars and in creative industries. I'm your host, Corey Cambridge. To keep up with the latest on the show, be sure to follow us on Instagram at, at Silent Giants Podcast. To keep up with my life, music, and more, be sure to follow me as well at, at Corey Cambridge. Today on the show, we have a very special guest, Marat Bernstein. Marat is the artist manager for one of my good friends and music supervisor of Broad City, Matt FX. After graduating from Columbia University, Marat went on to work for music legend Art Garfunkel as his personal assistant and tour manager, but he's currently a professor at NYU's Clive Davis Institute of Recorded Music. In this episode, Marat stops by to chat about how he broke into the industry, his experience working with Art Garfunkel, how and why he broke into sync licensing, and a whole lot more. So, without further ado, let me introduce you to the manager, professor, sync licensing guru, my friend. The silent giant, Marat Bernstein. Yo, my man Marat. What's Hello. up, man? Hello. What's up, dog? <laughs> Good to see you, buddy. How are you? I'm well. How are you? First, first of all, I'm, I'm fantastic, first of all. Second, I, I want to say thank you so much. You've been, the, you were the first supporter of the podcast. I remember you were the first person I reached out to, uh, to interview back in, this was Thanksgiving of last year. Wow. And you were like, absolutely, I'll do it. And then we do the interview, and I don't have headphones. <laughs> and I go back to edit it later, and I'm like, yo, uh, this is such a good story. And I can't really hear him because I couldn't hear him during the interview process. So then we do the photos. I was the pilot. I was the beta. You, Yes, yes. Was the- <laughs> absolutely. It was a fantastic interview. Thank you. And I was like, yo, man, I got to get my man back, back on. And I got so busy that I forgot. And I'm like, shit, I need my ride again. I need my ride. 
And here we are again. Here we are. So we made it work. Thank you so much. My pleasure. You're a great human being. And we also got busy too on a lot of like non podcast stuff. Yeah. Right back at you. Yeah. Oh, no, dude. Okay. So what, what was it? Uh, the, the great human being part. Oh, dude. Yeah. Yo. Right back at you. Oh, thank you, man. That's <laughs> wait, because we had, we've collaborated together on, with Matt. Yeah. On Hesitate. That's right. With Richie. Yeah. And then with, uh, we did Paul Buttnitz here at Alley. We did an event with Paul Buttnitz. Yeah. Yep. That was our first, I guess, like collaboration, I guess. Yes. And then we did, uh, uh, Lost in the Wild just came out. Lost in the Wild. With Sinead. Shout out to Sinead. So we, we've gotten like, yeah, close, bro. Yeah. We've, we, there's like layers to our friendship. Layers. It's like personal and and, and business. Yes. We've been building. We've been building. <laughs> we've been building, fam. How, how's everything in your life, man? Talk everything's good. Everything's good. How's I, everything at NYU? NYU's great. What, what, what are you doing at NYU right now? So this semester, I'm teaching artist management. Okay. It's okay. A, it's an elective course. It's actually open to... Uh, the, the greater NYU community. We have some students from the Clive Davis Institute and we have students from the other NYU programs. Okay. So it's been a lot of fun. It's a seven-week class. Uh, sadly, it's coming to an end next week. So we're at the mid-semester point. Oh, wow. Yeah. And then we're gearing up for Future Music Moguls, our spring high school program. I, I, explain that to me. Yes. I saw you had Lenny S. Yes, uh, Lenny, yes, yes. What was it, two weeks ago, three weeks a ago? A few weeks ago, yeah. yeah. Lenny, Lenny came to, to visit the artist management class. Yeah, so explain uh, Future Music Moguls to us. Cool. Um, Future Music Moguls is our free high school program. Um, it meets on Saturdays in the spring from okay. February to May. Um, it is designed for students that we believe are underrepresented both at NYU and in the music industry. Okay. Um, so um, it's our opportunity to open up the doors and let amazingly talented kids in the tri-state area um, experience the Clive Davis Institute free of charge. Um, wow. There's no tuition, um, which is incredible, incredible, because NYU is an expensive place. Yes, it and, is. Uh, and uh, yeah, and some of the some of the candidates of that program will then you know apply to the to the institute and and become our college students. Yeah, you out here making things happen. No, dog. I didn't make it happen. They made it happen because they're yeah, dope artists. But you a part of it. <laughs> I'd like you're it. the silent giant. <laughs> <laughs> I see what you did there. Yeah, you like that? I do. So uh, yo, so Marat, let, let's get into the, the deeper into the interview, man. Where does the journey of Marat Berenstein start? Are you, are you from New York? No, you're no, not. No. I'm. I was born in the Ukraine. That's right. I forgot yeah, about this. I was born in the Ukraine. I came here in uh, 1990. I was seven years old. Okay. Yeah. Immigrated here with my family. I didn't come. I didn't come by you myself as a seven-year-old. Yeah. Like I didn't like Culkin. It's like Home Alone. Like, like, like the Ukraine version of the Lost Ukraine in New York. version of Lost. Yeah. Um, yeah. I came here. Moved to Brooklyn. Uh, actually, then spent a few years in Cleveland, Ohio. Um, lived there for a few years, and then in the middle of the junior, in the middle of the eighth grade, we moved back to Brooklyn, and uh, you know, I've high school, college, uh, you know, I've been in Brooklyn, Manhattan ever since. Wow. Yeah. And so, like, how did you first like? Uh, did you know that early on that you wanted to be involved in in music? Like, how did that kind of get into your life? Yeah. Um, coming from an immigrant family, growing up in the late '90s, going to high school, the dot com boom. Um, I was always a math and science kid, and so I, I went to Columbia, um, and uh, I went to the engineering school of Columbia, thinking I was going to do computer science. Okay. So that was going to be my trajectory. Um, Unbeknownst to my parents, I was always passionate about the music business, you know, kind of like 90s MTV kid, um, always reading about 
Russell Simmons, Puffy, Jay-Z, just like growing up on hip hop and just being inspired by those guys yeah. more than anything because they were entrepreneurs and still are. Um, but I didn't, there was no Clive Davis Institute in my time. So I was a struggling engineering student trying to make it in computer science and uh, I had to switch majors in order to graduate. Um, but I started managing some of my friends who were in a band on campus um, my senior year. They broke up a month in. Because, <laughs> yeah, like, how did, the, how did you know? Did you ever have a, a, a passion to be an artist yourself? No. Okay. I, I played trombone as a kid in the school band. Okay. And then I stopped. And so, were we really good? I don't know. <laughs> You're just like, yo, what I'm, is the level of good in, like, school bands? I mean, yo, there's, there's some, yeah, I'm sure there's some good kids, but I, well, I think you, it was a, you just weren't passionate about it necessarily. Yeah, I wasn't passionate about it. Okay. Yeah, I just did it because it was there and it was fun for the few years that I did it from, like, grades five through, I don't know, six or seven. Because how, how did the opportunity, uh, you know, come about that you were going to manage this band? Did they ask you? Did, did you ask them? They were my friends. One of them was my roommate. Um, the others were in our general circle. Um, I really loved their music. I thought they were great. And I had no idea what to do. Um, and then, of course, we were just like, all right, you'll be like the fifth or sixth member of the band. Start managing us. Cool. And we start doing stuff. After our first show off campus, they broke up. <laughs> After the first show? Yes. <laughs> Like, what did you learn from that experience? Um, don't like, don't manage a brand. Don't manage a band that's going to break up. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, did you know going into this band would, would had the, the could be on the end of, of destruction? No, I don't think you know that. And you know, look, they broke up. They were friends. They, okay. they butted heads the way friends do, the way brothers do, and and that's what happened. Okay. Yeah, they okay. they remained friends. They just weren't in a band after that. You haven't like managed bands since. A band? Has, has that experience turned you off to managing bands? That is a great question. I've never thought about that. I've never thought about it like that. I've never managed a band since. And it's not because of that experience. I just don't think I've had the opportunity to manage a band. Yeah. I'm not turned off to managing a band. Because I, I, I was in a band in college. Yeah. And I also managed the band. Wow. So being in the band and then managing the band is like, it's like having five wives. <laughs> You know what I mean? And, yeah. and trying to make sure all of them are like sexually satisfied. Right. And emotionally satisfied. That's hard. Very hard. Yeah. You know, everyone has a little bit of an ego, except the bass player. The, the bass, bass player, player always brings a positive vibe. Always. So always my favorite person in the band. Yeah. But everyone else has a little bit of ego. So you have to, you have to balance that, make sure everyone's satisfied. And, and also manage everyone's schedules. and like It's tough. It's very, it's very tough. tough. And so, the thing about college bands is they break up. And they break and up. And they break up. And <laughs> that's their thing. We broke up. <laughs> and you guys broke up. But I think it had an impact on, on how high we'll go towards managing in the future. Right. You well, know. it was a starting point, you know? Okay. The thing that got me started in the music business, though, was really interesting. So um, while I was a student at Columbia, uh, I got involved with a student club. Uh, it's still around today. It's actually bigger than ever. Um, it's called CORE, C-O-R-E, and that stands for the Columbia Organization of Rising Entrepreneurs. I thought you were going to drop a Y in there. I was like, oh, snap, dog. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I see that. Well played. Um, and we were just, you know, we were just interested in things that were entrepreneurial and entrepreneurship based. And we would host business plan competitions and we would invite alumni and cool people. And like Mark Cuban came once. This was before Shark Tank. We just enjoyed it. It was, you know, it was just like a fun club. It was a fun thing to do. Just really passionate about it. And you know how most student clubs are usually affiliated with like student affairs at yeah. any university. Right. That's where we were alongside all the other student clubs. 
my senior year, um, the university decided to reassign us to the career center. Okay. They just thought we were a more appropriate fit for the career center. Which makes sense. Kind of makes sense. Yeah. And, uh, and we became really close with the folks who ran the career center, young administrators, kind of mid to late twenties. Um, and we had a really great year. They looked after us. Um, and, uh, the reason I bring that up is because after I graduated, um, I did not have a job opportunity directly in the music business. I never had an internship. I never had time for one. I always worked at, you know, I had a part-time job when I was in school. Um, so here I am, I graduate school. It's 2004. Um, most of my peers are getting jobs in like finance and this is before the crash. Yeah. I moved back home. My parents are stoked. <laughs> that you're back home? Stoked. <laughs> no, they're not. They're, they're, they're not stoked. Um, oh, they're, oh, yeah, because I just, you know, here I am. I, yeah, I'm an immigrant <laughs> family and I come out of a, you know, an Ivy League school and they're like, great, you're getting a job. You're going to like law school, right? I'm like, no, I'm moving back home. Um, but I moved back home and I kind of uh, toy around with a startup idea. It doesn't work out a few months in and I get an email from uh one of the admins from the Career Center. And, and the email reads, a famous Columbia alum is looking for a personal assistant. It's a paid job. Um, and it doesn't say who, and it doesn't say what line of work. Mm. And so I apply immediately. <laughs> immediately. Um, I had no idea it could even be someone from the music world. Um, I applied. I had nothing to lose, right? A week goes by. Um, I follow up with, with my pal and I say, hey, do you, you know, did you get my application? What, you know, what's the story? He goes, I got it. You're on the short list. I go, fantastic. Shortlist for what? I don't know who this is for. Like, this is a paid position to be a personal assistant for a high profile individual. I would kind of like to know who it is. It's Art Garfunkel. And here's to you, Mrs. I flip, right? Growing up, you know, we're Soviet Union. My, my father had imported vinyl of the Beatles and Simon Garfunkel. Pretty much that's it. Yeah. So I, you know, I love the music, you know, the legend, right? Um, so I was really excited. And, uh, and, I, and I wrote like a very passionate email um, talking about <laughs> how excited I am and how this could be a great opportunity and a great stepping stone. And it's, and it's paid. Yeah. The reason I wasn't, able to kind of start in music is because while I was in school, the only thing I could do is apply for an internship and I just didn't have time for an internship. Right. You know, my course load and my job just did not have time. So I was like, what better way to start in the music business now that I'm a college grad than like a paid position, right? Um, even though it's personal assistant, like pretty, pretty, pretty low on the, and I knew that going into it. And so a week later I got the call. I guess my friend read my email put my name at the top of the shortlist and uh, Art called me and very shortly thereafter he hired me. Right, because once you, was it like an interview process, like a, a ever in-person interview with, with Art? We or? went to lunch. Okay, okay. And it, it, it's not like a normal HR hiring process when you go to work for, you know, a figure like that. Right. We went to lunch and I guess at some point during lunch I was hired. Like, tell me the story. I got the call. And I, and, you know, and I pick it up and hi, it's art. <laughs> like, oh my God, I'm such a fan. And he goes, Hey, I heard great things about you. Would you like to go to lunch next week? I go, let me check my busy schedule. <laughs> oh, oh yeah. I'm, I'm over. Let me call my mom and dad. <laughs> let me, let me see me. what time dinner is. I, I think I'm having lunch with Elton John. <laughs> I don't know if I can make it. Um, so of course I said, yes. Uh, we went to lunch. Uh, we talked 
and he gave me my he gave me my first task. He goes, "You're hired here. I need you to run this errand." I'm I'm his personal assistant, right? Wow. Yeah. At the lunch. At the lunch. What was that first task? He wanted his glasses dropped off or fixed something along those lines. It wasn't a difficult errand to run. Okay. It it wasn't. Um but then we really we really got into it because um we went on tour. Um we toured Europe, we toured the States. Um we, we, we did one Simon and Garfunkel show. It was the Katrina Relief Concert at Madison Square Garden. Okay. Super star-studded. Elton John, Lenny Kravitz. Folks like Bill Clinton were there. Wow. Um, yeah, it was in response to Katrina. Right. So they were raising money. Um, that was the one Simon and Garfunkel show we did. Because um, also, too, how do you prepare... How do you prepare someone of, of that stature for a tour? Like what, what was, like, in... What process did you have to go through to, like... You don't. You just go... You know, his manager, his day-to-day manager at the time uh, took me out to lunch when, when I was hired because I worked directly for art. I worked directly for the artist. So his management team, his agent, uh, his publicist, his entire team kind of knew that, okay, most of their communication is now going to go through me, so this way I can get it to him. And that was kind of my role, is to be the filter and help him and assist him. Um, his day-to-day manager took me out to lunch and he sat me down and he said, you want to know, you want to know how to be a great manager? I go, yeah. <laughs> he goes, confirm. And I go, great. And he goes, then confirm again. And I go, okay. And he's like, you want to know what rule number three is to be a great manager? I go, confirm the third time. He's like, you got it. <laughs> <laughs> and I didn't know what he meant at the time, but as soon as we got out there, I did. You know, when you're on tour and you're in the position of assistant or tour manager or any kind of um, area where you're helping the artist or the band do the thing that they're doing, right? The, yeah. To play the show, the, the thing that the people are buying tickets for, you really have to be very, very diligent about everything. Flights, hotels, times, sound check baggage, uh, instrument, the gear, uh, load in, like every, everything that goes into making a show happen and moving a touring company around musicians, touring staff, the artist, and so on. Cause this is, this almost like set you up for almost what you're doing today as a manager. Totally. You're really managing a person's life. Yes. I really believe that if people want to be managers, there's no better way to start than to go and dive into the deep end of the pool and go work as an assistant for, for, for someone who needs it. How long did you have that position? I had that position for a year and a half. Okay. It was tough. It wasn't an easy position. It was a tough, it was a tough gig. Oh, I can only imagine. Yeah. Dude, managing my life. It's tough. As, yeah. an indivi- yeah, yeah. <laughs> as an individual, like having yeah. your own personal life and managing that yes. is it's tough in itself. Yes. That with someone else. Yes. Someone else's life. And a person and of that stature. stature. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So like, what experience did you walk away from besides confirm, 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 what I think is the most amazing quote yeah. that you know, I, I use that honestly in my, in my day-to-day. That's like, awesome. What else did you learn from that experience that, that, helps, that has helped you and shaped you to the person you are today in your profession? Patience, which I think is key to anyone in the music business. Definitely patience. And... Uh, I want to say flexibility, but more than that, just being able to think on your feet and move quickly. I think that was the biggest lesson. Was, it, was there a time during this period working with art that, that you look back and say, you know, man, I, I kind of fucked that up? 
you know, and no, I was the perfect assistant. Oh man, (laughs) I need an assistant. (laughs) You're hired. Was there a time? I mean, I think if you ask him, I think he would probably say I messed up a lot of things. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I mean, I'm sure, look, we make mistakes every single day. Yes. I had to learn a lot, right? I had to learn the language of live touring and, and show and shows and, and that kind of thing. Um, I, I didn't go to like a, I, I wasn't in a theater program growing up. I had to learn the difference between stage right and stage left. Oh, wow. That's okay. confusing. Oh, right. It is. Right. It I is, had to learn. So I had to, it's mirrored. Right. It's right. like house, right. State, you know, um, but yeah, things like that, things like that. I had, you know, and, and you learn quickly, you learn quickly, you know, especially when you're on tour, no one has time for, you know, if you make a mistake, cool. Learn from it. Don't make it again. The glam aspect of a tour, right. We're very like, right. Oh, the lighting and right. the interviews and mm-hmm. cameras. Like, what about a person's laundry? Mm-hmm. Like, how do you do your laundry on tour? You do it on tour. <laughs> like, h- how? Well, it depends. Look, if a tour is big enough, they actually have people there that do laundry. It, it is like a moving, you know, uh, you, you know, you look at a tour like we, we weren't that big of a tour. It was yeah. art doing solo shows. We had a four member band. We probably had we probably moved around with a total of. 10 to 12 people be, between art, the artist, uh, myself, the tour manager, production manager, lighting, That's still a really sound, big team. You know, yeah, but you look at like a, you know, I mean, like a Beyonce tour or a Bruno okay. tour and that's like a hundred people. That's semi-trucks and buses and, you know, and they have, they have wardrobe and laundry moving with them. Wow. Yeah. Because I'm always intrigued of like, how do you even maintain your day-to-day existence? You just go to Walmart and buy new underwear? Like, yes. Oh, you just buy new underwear? If you need it, yeah. You do uh, the laundry. We, we did lo- laundry was done in the hotel. We okay. stayed in nice hotels, so that was fine. Like, you know, Artie, you know, he ain't out here scrapping it. <laughs> yeah, we stayed in nice he hotels. He ain't the days in. Yeah, no, we didn't do any days in. We stayed in nice hotels. And so after your experience with art, like, what was your, your, did you know at that point that, you know, you wanted to step and do something new? Like, what was that transition like? Yes. How did that transition come about for you? So inherently, I think working as someone's assistant, and it, there were times when I had to tour manage as well, so I had to learn that. Um, I think inherently when you're working as someone's assistant, that is management. You know, you're doing it at a different level and scale, but that is management. Like you said, you're managing someone's life. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Life, someone's career, someone's movement, right? So that was already there. You know, I kind of sensed, okay, I want to manage. I want to manage on my own. Um, The other thing that I was really intrigued by is licensing. And I, music licensing, Mm -hmm. like sync licensing. And so, and, 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 and the way I learned about that, and I don't want to say I learned about it. I was just, I I got enough of a dose to say, this is cool. Um, 
one day, uh, Art was really excited, and uh, and I asked him, you know, how you doing? And he said, hey, I'm super, you know, I'm super excited. And I said, why? And he said, uh, Mrs. Robinson was used in a movie at that time. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, for a lot of money. I, I can't say how much. Um, but... Uh, there were some zeros. There were some zeros for sure, <laughs> but he was—he's not driven by money. Most most artists are not, right? Um, but he was excited about the fact that the work to create Mrs. Robinson wasn't done that day, and it wasn't done when the license happened for that movie in two thousand and five or two thousand and six, whatever year it was. That work he and Paul did in the sixties. Wow! And it was generating forty years later. Yes. And if he was excited about that, and it made me think, well, how many times has Mrs. Robinson used in, exactly. in, in TV and film? And or actually in The Graduate, it was it was made for a movie, right? Right? <laughs> it was so made for a movie. He was making money off the top. Speaking of The Graduate, the movie that we're talking about is Rumor Has It, which ah. is a modern day gotcha. homage remake. Yes, you know yes. they they had to have the song, and then that's just one song. How many other timeless hits do they have? Sound of Silence. Oh, I'm. I'm Tons. You can think of movie scenes where like, and that made me think, and, I, and that the idea that it wasn't about the money, and it wasn't about the movie, and it wasn't about the license. It, the idea that you can create intellectual property, and if that intellectual property, whether it's a song or a video or a painting or something, if it's, if it's, if it's compelling enough, if it's, if it's great, it will generate things for you in the future. Mm. And look, Mrs. Robinson is going to continue to be licensed in movies and television forever, forever, forever. Yeah. And so that was sort of like a little bit of a sugar pill that, so, I, that I got. And I was like, Ooh, I need to learn about this stuff. I need to learn about licensing. So what were the first steps you took to learn about licensing? I, we, I left uh, on a, on a good note. Um, and there was an artist, uh, that I found that was interested in making music for licensing purposes. And so, we started working together, um, and the idea was cool. Let's make, let's make a Mrs. Robinson. Yeah, <laughs> let's make some songs that we can license and we can make some money, um, and that's how I did it. And so there wasn't a book that I read, um, there wasn't a class that I took. I just jumped in. And so with this artist, what were the first steps you took to get that artist into like? Because I'm always fascinated by that. There are certain things about the music industry. It's almost like people's finances. People don't talk about their finances. Mm -hmm. People don't break and crack the code of like how they got into the industry. It's right. very much a, oh, yeah, you know, one day I just said, right. I want to get into licensing. And you know what? I got into licensing. Well, no, it wasn't that quick. I mean, I did it the hard way, meaning uh, I didn't have anyone that could help me. There wasn't like a platform or something we could use. Right. I just started researching music supervisors and started making lists and started figuring out what each music supervisor did, what kind of projects they worked on with their specific TV shows that they did, with their movies, with their commercials. And I just started trying to find them online, finding their email address, getting their contact information. Um, and I would just start pitching. I would just email them cold and just like, hey, here's a song. You know, what do you think? That kind of wow. thing. Yeah. Wow. That's Zero response. <laughs> None. <laughs> Crickets. <laughs> Wait, so, so how Crickets. did you eventually... It's a, it's a re you know this. It's a relationship-driven business. Yeah, of course. You know? And, and uh, we didn't have a Mrs. Robinson. We didn't have a hit record. It wasn't anything like that. We had some cool songs, and we were, you know, there was some potential use for them in things like video games and, you know, TV shows and films. So eventually, I just realized that all of the people I was emailing lived in L.A. Mm. So I said, I, I'm going to L.A. 
And, and I did. And so did you like live out there or did you just go no. out there for extended, I, extended period of time? No, I would, I just started, I just started making trips. I just started, you know, look, I'm going to go out there this week. Um, not this week. I'm going to go out there for, for a week. And, uh, and instead of pitching people, I would just then reach out and say, Hey, I'm so-and-so would love to get a coffee. Um, I'd love to talk to you. I'd love to maybe ask you some questions. Um, so I kind of shifted from just pitching them stuff. Cause I realized the reason they're not responding is a, they don't know me. B they're getting pitched every day. Right. All day, right? So let me build some relationships. So I started taking trips, you know, a couple times a year. Um, at some point, they, they became more frequent. And I started making relationships, making friends and kind of learning about the community um, and keeping up with people. And then, you know, look, you do that. And after a while, eventually, someone will respond. Someone will remember you. And you land your... Look, pitching for licensing is like sales. Mm-hmm. It's, like, it's like someone selling steak knives, Right. You yeah. make your first sale and you and you move from there. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, so that cutlery, move on to the next customer. Exactly. exactly. And so what was the first like thing you actually got landed uh, on a commercial or a television ad or something like that? That's a great question. I don't remember. I really don't. It has to be a good moment. It wasn't with that artist. <laughs> it didn't work out. OK. That project <laughs> that project did not work was it a, out. Was it a band? It wasn't a band. <laughs> I, I think I started landing things. Um, from other artists that I started kind of uh, finding on the online and people would send me music. They're like, hey, maybe you can get this license. So I don't remember exactly what the first placement was that I could say, hey, I got this. But at some point, things started to happen. Okay. Right? And then ev- eventually, after a while of kind of knocking on people's doors, landing a few things, um, I, I met the folks that ran Decon Records. Okay. Um, and uh, Decon is now Mass Appeal. Mm-hmm. And shout out to them. They're awesome. Go and, Nas. Yeah, go Nas. Um, but at the time, they were Decon Records, and they really had some, they had some cool hip-hop. They, it, it's funny. Decon is a New York City label, right? Um, and, and, and they had the, the who's who of the West Coast underground backpack hip-hop. Uh, AC Alone, Freestyle Fellowship, Alchemist, Dilated Peoples, mm. Charlie Tuna, mm. um, just like that whole section. Um, I want to drop like flex bombs. Yeah, 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 <laughs> for sure. Um, and so, and believe it or not, that stuff did well in licensing. So I partnered with them, and I, okay. and I kind of based myself out of the office, and I and and I would eat what I kill. If I landed a license on on uh, on a project that was at Decon, I would get the commission. Okay, so so like even before you got to Decon, right? Mm-hmm. Let's say for instance you. You meet an artist and you're like, hey, you know, um, we got your song placed on this. Right. Are you representing this artist? So you're going to... I would, at that point in my life, I wasn't managing those artists, but I would, I would represent them for the purposes of, of, of licensing and landing and landing something for, for a placement. Okay. Okay. Super cool. Here you are at Decon. Yeah. And now you're, you're into the, the sync licensing world. Yes. Super, super heavy. Yes. You know, how did you manifest that into becoming a manager? Yes. So uh, I met a, a, a very talented young rapper at the time named Najee. Okay. And his stage name was Najee the One. And I started managing him. And, and so. And I was managing him at the same time I was at Decon, and Decon was cool with it. Uh, and, I sh- and I used a desk, and uh, I, would, I would generate a bunch of licenses for Decon and then manage my artists. So I kind of did both. Okay. At, simultaneously. We also, what is the process of. Legally, what goes into being a manager? Like, what are the first steps, like, on a legal aspect of, like, 
or business-wise? Because you're creating a business. You're creating a business. I set up an LLC. Okay. Um, I set up a bank account. Okay. And my goal was to put money into that account. Okay. Okay. So I had to learn how to draft an invoice. You know, I didn't know, I didn't know how to do that. Yeah. I didn't learn that anywhere. Um, I had to learn how to do my taxes. I had to learn how to follow up with people, you know, and chase down payments and stuff like that. Just kind of like the, the basics of, of what, you know, we still do every day as, as small business owners and entrepreneurs. Right. Because I, I feel like sometimes even, once again, uh, there's a point of, I became a manager, but then there's that under, is that under the water, yeah. like under the surface, like yeah. what does it take yeah. on an X's and O's level of management of I am officially a manager and I'm a business owner and these are the things I have to do to get there. Well, it's interesting that you say that because it's like, it's like two jobs, right? It's like one is you're managing or maybe you're a publicist or maybe you're a lawyer and that's the thing that you do and mm-hmm. that's your passion point and that's the, the job and that's what you're doing day to day. But running a business is a whole other job, right? That's taxes. That's legal stuff. That's filing certain paperwork. That's operations. That's if you're going to have employees, that's payroll and benefits. And, and some people can do both. And those are the folks that successfully grow a business and hopefully goes from a small business to a bigger business to a full-fledged company. Yeah. And for some folks, it's hard. It's really hard. They're very good at the thing that they do. And they might not be so good at, at, at the operation stuff and running the business stuff. Mm. <clears throat> Unfortunately for me, and I don't know if it's unfortunate or fortunate, um, I never had a partner because some do, right? Some find that person with complementary skills. So maybe you're a publicist, for example, and, and you're really good at being a publicist, right? Yeah. But you're not great at the other stuff. And maybe you get a partner that's great at that stuff. Right. Of and course. that's an amazing combination. I just never met that person. And to this day, I don't have a partner. It's just me. So I have we're to like, do both. We're like professional bachelors. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Looking for a p- potential partner. I don't want to be a player. I just crush a lot. I just crush a lot of invoices. Yeah. <laughs> and so, so you get into management. Yes. And so you're currently teaching management at NYU. Yes. Woo, woo. There we go. There we go. You know, a little shout out. A little shout out. And, and so, you know, what do you, you know, in your classrooms, like what, mm-hmm. what, is, the, what is the guidance that you give to these, these young uh, folks looking to break into the industry. I just tell them to confirm everything three times. That's, that's the first thing I learned from. That's the first thing, yeah. Um, teaching, I also teach music licensing. Um, at, this semester is just management. Next, next, next semester we'll do licensing, and then I run our high school programs, as you know. Um, believe it or not, teaching management is incredibly difficult. Well, why is that? There are so many different things you could focus on. We can spend seven weeks or 14 weeks if it was a full semester class. We can spend that time talking about psychology. We can spend that time talking about music business stuff. We can spend that time talking about any aspect of the industry. Um, Speak on on psychology. I wasn't expecting to go that route. Well, you're dealing with people. You're in the people business. And what do we do in music? What do we do in show and entertainment? We sell emotion. Mm. Right. So psychology is a huge factor. You're dealing with human beings. You're running people's lives. You're helping them. It is a big part. Mm. Right. OK. Um, and, and on the business side, I believe that a great music manager can do it all. Right. Just think about it. Starting out working with an emerging artist, that manager has to kind of play all the different roles. That manager has to be the publicist. That manager has to be the tour manager. Sometimes that manager has to be like the DJ. <laughs> 
right? Right. Um, all the different things. That manager has to be the assistant, the, the pub, the, all the different things that you do. And hopefully you grow and you, bring, you build that team and you, and you find a publicist and you find a, 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 a DJ and you find all these other things. The amazing part of that is if you can learn all of that, you can go on later if you want. You can do anything in the music business, on the business side. Yeah. You can run a label. You have to act as the label now with your artist. Right. In 2017 and looking forward, right? You have to, you have to function as a publisher along with your artist or help the artist set up their publishing, right? So you, can, you have to understand publishing. You have to understand the record side. You have to understand Spotify. You have to understand blogs. You have to understand XYZ. Wow. I think the best managers, the, one that really, the ones that really prove themselves, are in the best possible position in the music business. They could do anything at that point. They could go run a publishing company. They can go run a record label. They can go work at Spotify. They can go work at Apple Music. They could do, you have to know tech. You have to understand computers and coding and websites and social media. What's like the most common mistake you find, um, maybe, that you, maybe you've done yourself or mm-hmm. mistakes you've seen other people make? Like what are the most common mistakes uh, that young managers make. Yeah. That's a good one. Um, I think the most common mistake that I see young managers make is um, it's not, it, they, they, they make it about themselves and mm-hmm. it's not, it's, it's your, your, your first and foremost role as an artist manager is to help the talent mm. in whatever shape or form that is. And okay. I think, and I think sometimes managers get really excited, and, and you know the spotlight, and then they make it about themselves, and they start, they start helping themselves a little bit too soon, right? It's I believe that a manager should have a brand, I believe that a manager should have a company, and that should be its own brand. But with time, right? right. You first have to help someone else, and then you can start helping yourself. And then believe it or not, you'll get recognized for the work that you've done for your client, for the for the talent that you've managed. Mm. And so currently you're managing... Matt FX. Hey! hey. <laughs> Shout out to Matt FX. But how did the relationship with Matt, uh, Matt come about? Well, in my time at Decon, my role was to build relationships with music supervisors. And also, let's explain who Matt FX is for let's the listeners. Let's explain who Matt FX is. You know. Matt FX is a lot of things. He is a lot of things. Am I right? My homie. He's your homie. Your homie. My homie. Um, he's mostly known as a music supervisor. Um, he works on a show called Broad City, um, Detroiters. Um, he's done a few other shows and films. Um, but he's also a, 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 an artist, a producer, a writer. Um, he's a great DJ. He's an on-air host. He's, he's hosted some television shows. Um, he's getting into the food space. Um, he's many, many things. Yeah. And, and, just, and a great guy. He's no one-trick pony. Yes. <laughs> yes. So I met Matt when he was 18 years old. And um, I was at Decon, and uh, I was building my relationship with music supervisors, pitching a lot, uh, met the folks at MTV, and a lot of the stuff that we had at Decon, we were, we were um, licensing to MTV. And one day I get a call, um, and the person on the other end of the phone is, is pissed off, and, and they are <laughs> working at MTV, uh, and, uh, and they get this show, it's called Skins, and it's actually an import of a successful show in England. And, uh, and they're, you know, either they, they want to know who the music supervisor is because their job is to help them, or if there is no music supervisor, they can supervise. So it's an opportunity for them to get creative and to work. And here they go, and they find out that the music supervisor attached to this show that everyone's really excited about in the building, mm-hmm. he's 18 years old, no one knows who he is, um, and he lives in New York. 
Wow. And can I just reiterate? He's 18 years old. That's not heard of. Right. That's, that's not, that's not a thing. No, not at all. <laughs> at 18, you might get an internship, right? Might be back in Brooklyn with your parents. Might be back in Brooklyn with your parents. <laughs> yes. Um, but you know his story. I mean, tune into the episode of Silent Giants. Episode two. <laughs> episode episode two, two. To hear the Man Effect story. Where? <laughs> Air horn. <laughs> Um, and so he became a music supervisor at age 18. And, 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 and my friend at MTV who called me, he said, listen, can you meet him? He's a great guy. Um, he might need a little help. And, uh, and at that time we, we repped Freddie Gibbs at, at, at Decon. Yeah. And so, um, you know, they thought Freddie would be great for the show for skins and, uh, and Matt was a fan. And so I listen. this was music to my ears. I said, you want me to meet a new music supervisor and get him some songs from, from this label. And, and this is what I do. This is awesome. I can show you the world. <laughs> <laughs> so that's how we, that's how we, we got to know each other. Okay. Yeah. Okay. We didn't start working together until maybe two years ago, two and a half years ago. I don't exactly remember when it was, but you know, I've known him for, for a long time, but we, we, we started working in an official capacity uh, maybe two years ago. Yeah. And then, well, Mariah, you know, before I let you go, man, you know, what, what advice, you know, could you give to, to people looking to break into the industry? What advice? Um, patience. Be patient. You know, um, I think patience is key. I think keeping your head down and just doing the work and don't expect results. You know, um, that's a sure way to be disappointed. Um, I think if you're patient and you do good work, people will know about you. Um, your work will show, uh, it, it will show, you know, it will show itself and, uh, and good things will happen. And it just takes time. It just takes time. I want to kind of go back to one thing you said. What's the one of the common, I think one of them, to add to that, yeah. young managers are impatient mm. by and large. And just, it takes time. You know this. Oh, do I? You know this. <laughs> it takes time. Hey, you know what? It Look, takes time. I was having a conversation with someone the other day, and we were talking about millennials. Yeah. And I was like, what is the... like? Are I, we millennials? Uh, are you a millennial? I'm, I'm going to be 30 in a couple weeks. Am I a millennial? I'm a few years older than you. I think you're a millennial. I'm a millennial? I don't know what the cutoff is. Me neither. But I classify us as millennials. We're millennials. Okay. Shout so, out to us. We're millennials. Shout, you know, we're, we're a part of the Instagram, Twitter era. Sure. I think being the birth of social media makes yes. you a millennial. Okay. So with, with, with one generation, it was like Generation Next. was like MTV and... Right. Right? Yeah. I think millennials is like, we were here for the origin of Facebook and Twitter. Yes. And Instagram. Yes. And those things. I'm so excited. I, it, ladies and gentlemen, it's confirmed I'm a millennial. Yes. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. Da, 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 da. <laughs> but I, I, one thing I, I recognize too, to go on your point about patience. Yeah is that we live in a very instantaneous moment. Instant gratification. Because of the internet can make things seem like things happen very quickly. Mm -hmm. And sometimes they do. Sometimes they do. do. Um, But like if you're looking at a documentary, Mm -hmm. they're telling a person's life success story in 30 minutes. So they came from their small town and moved to New York City. (laughs) And all of a sudden they walked into the store and they met so-and-so. Right. There's not the backstory of well before they met this 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 miracle person who right. miracle person they you know already had their demo completed that they right. had worked you know or they five spent jobs years making it right yeah. exactly they that part isn't really expressed and I, I realize as the older I get you know especially approaching uh, thirty and spending the seven years of my adulthood growing up as an adult in New York City mm-hmm. becoming a man in New York City mm-hmm. uh, a person. 
that they make success seem very, very quick. It sounds like it's overnight. It sounds like it's overnight. But it's not. It's not. I mean, it's, you know, it's overnight and it took 12 years. Yeah. I think patience, I think that's a, a great way to, uh, a great point to bring up is you have to be patient and, and also allow the opportunity, allow yourself to grow. Yeah. You know, and make mistakes. You should make mistakes. And That's don't how you fall learn. in love with the reward. Don't fall in love with the. Re- I thought you were going to say don't fall in love with 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 your client, like because that's that's. Oh, no, a, fall in love with the client. Fall in love with the client. <laughs> Deal. Um, don't fall in love with the reward. Yes, because it will come, and it and you know what? It might not come the way you think it comes, exactly. and it might not be the that person that you're managing. Maybe it's someone else, um, and it might come from an area that you never expected it. But Marat, man, thank you so That's much. That's it? It's over? Dude. We can talk for hours. We can talk for hours. But Marat, man, thank you so much for being here on the pleasure. show, man. You're a cool dude, cool brother. Oh, stop it. Right back at you. The flyest, man. No, no you. <laughs> Take care, my G. <laughs> thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thank you so much to the Silent Giants behind this episode of the Silent Giants podcast. This episode has been mixed by Mark Bird of MBM Studios, located in Astoria, Queens. NYC's number one recording studio for music, podcasting, and other audio recordings. Be sure to follow them on Instagram at MBM Studios NYC. I'm your host, Corey Cambridge, signing off till next time. Hey, Mel, Bri here. Gotta work from home today because the whole family caught a nasty. Hey, Mikey, if you're gonna puke, find the popcorn bowl! But my availability is 110%. Coincidentally, so is my fever. <laughs> Kidding. Mel, I'm so cold but hot. Uh, but I'm gonna get you that budget. Just as soon as... Right. Mikey, popcorn bowl! Press 1 to use Instacart and get your family's sick day essentials delivered in as fast as 30 minutes. Press 2 to keep working. Do not press 2. Just use Instacart. Brian.